Welcome back, Blue Jay fans, to another episode of the Blue Jay Spites podcast. I am Bryant Ott, great Otter from whiteandbluereview.com. Joining me tonight, the incomparable Matt DeMarinas. Been a couple weeks since we've been with you guys, and really appreciate you tuning back in for the Blue Jays Bites podcast, which tries to get you caught up on all things Creighton sports. Uh, sponsored by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. Big thank you to Lawler's for that. And Matt, I think we'll just jump right into the show. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, big baseball-heavy show tonight, as Ed Service's team is in the midst of a 10-game win streak, but. Um, I'd, I'd be remiss if we didn't cover some some changes up on the hilltop for men's basketball. Tis the season to be recruiting, and tis the season for transfers and all sorts of stuff. But um, oftentimes, it also means changes to the coaching staff. So I know uh, within the last week, there's been some some changes on Coach McDermott's bench. Uh, Al Huss coming back to Creighton and replacing Steve Lutz, who left to go to Purdue. Um, would just really love your thoughts initially on what you think the moves mean and how how things shape up for 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 the changing bench there for Coach Mack. Well, initially I thought the move for Lutz was kind of an interesting one to assess given that, I mean, I always knew he had aspirations of being a head coach. I guess I just never under, I never knew that meant maybe there might have to be other jobs he would have to take as an assistant in order to get himself positioned for that. You know, I kind of just assumed someone would hire him from Creighton as a head coach type of deal at some maybe low major at first type of type of thing. Sure. And then I was a little surprised, um, just a little bit, not terribly, but a little surprised to see that he was taking somewhat of a similar role at a different um, school. Obviously, Purdue, um, you know, is in the Big Ten and all that. So, I mean, it's not you know, one of those situations where he's, you know, downgrading himself, I guess. But it was a little surprising from that angle. Um, but, you know, good for him. Uh, he's always been a great guy, a great resource to talk to, not only on the record but off the record. He's, you know, a good a good guy. You know, he just uh, – even when you're not talking basketball or talking the, you know, logistics of the team and things like that, he's just a good guy to have a conversation with and, you know, for – been covering the team for five years he's been a pretty good resource of both information on the team and on various players and um as well as just to have a conversation with on a daily basis so all the you know i wish all the best to him his family you know and their move out there and i certainly hope it all works out for him and that he ends up um getting the head coaching job that he kind of desires and one that fits him pretty well so those are my thoughts on kind of him leaving i don't know what you think about it yeah i mean i'm you know, I'm all for anybody going out and trying to find something that helps them get to whatever that next thing is, right? We see that a lot this time of year with student athletes um, mm -hmm. trying to figure out what they really want from their from their playing days, and if that means having to move to a different school or taking a a different route to their ultimate goal, then hey, I mean, I'm all for it. It's all it's all up to them. And, you know, a lot of the times coaches always had the benefit, right. Versus the student athletes, student athletes were locked into letters. And when you transferred, there's places you can't go and people you can't talk to and certain time frames where all that has to happen. Coaches. I mean, we've seen it. <laughs> we saw it a couple times uh, recently with men's basketball with coach Altman, but um, you know, you can pretty much come and go as 
you see fit. So I'm never going to um, be down on someone for, for following whatever it is they think that they need to follow. Um, it sucks that he has to work with a Saluki, but that's his own choice. I mean, sometimes you got to make sacrifices. So I'm sure, exactly. I'm sure coach painter will, will be fine uh, to work with. And yeah, I mean, gosh, you talk about a school with the great tradition and probably a, a fan base that thinks that they should be accomplishing even more than they currently already are. Purdue seems to probably fit that bill. I know a couple of really good diehard Purdue fans that, you know, they've had a lot of success uh, historically, but really keep looking and searching to, to tip the scales and make a deep, deeper run. So, you know, hopefully one day Purdue and Creighton will be squaring off in one of those deep runs and it'll be good for all the coaches to see coach Lutz. But um, yeah, I mean, that's awesome for him. And, you know, I'm really intrigued with the move to bring coach Huss back into the fold for the blue Jays, because, um, you know, as it, it's starting to get a little weird, right? Like I went to school with Al Huss. I was a couple of years younger, but I mean, this is, you know, it's a big opportunity for him and, and a big stepping stone potentially for him too. When we talk about how careers have gone, um, you know, coming from New Mexico, but also before having, um, successfully launched uh, a couple really solid um, high school basketball programs. La Lumiere comes to mind. I know there's a lot of conversation. Uh, uh, Jacob Epperson coming here from that school and the Jays still apparently in on Brian Bowen from La Lumiere as well. Not that Coach Huss was there this year. But Michael Campbell as well. There's a lot of recruits from that. A lot of guys um, on, the, on the immediate radar. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's going to be – it's going to be interesting to see Al uh, just back on the sideline again, frankly, for the Blue Jays as a fan um, that watched him play. And he was he was part of some really important teams to Creighton's overall basketball history. Yeah. So um, I've heard he's got a fiery personality. He's really energetic on the bench, which will always great to see. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to talk to any guys yet, though, or any other assistants. I know it's been kind of a weird period down there with workouts being done and stuff. But anything that you're getting from either on campus or just kind of out in the social peripheral of the hire? Yeah, nothing, you know, insider, insidery, I guess. Their workouts, they finish their workouts for the week. Um, I think the day before they, um, you know, announced that they had made the hire, so it was kind of weird timing to um, get some kind of player interaction and things like that. Um, I thought, I don't know. I mean, from just the outside looking in, I thought it made sense to go that route and hire Coach Hutz. I mean, I'm not sure what maybe the fan base ex- you know, kind of expects as far as filling an assistant role. But, I mean, when you've got – a guy like D-Rock on the staff who's been there a long time. Then you've got an ace recruiter in Preston Murphy already on staff, you know, and Murph and all the things he does. I mean, what I guess to me it made sense to, you know, at least look at, you know, take a careful look at um, Coach Huss. And, you know, given that, you know, he's, he's played there, he's part of the resurgence and all that. And, you know, obviously when a guy coaches his alma mater, he's got a lot of, he brings a lot of energy to the job. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I wasn't looking for, you know, to see if Matt could poach Cal's top assistant at Kentucky or something. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? I kind of thought, right. I, you know, I kind of thought just fill the role with a guy who knows how to develop some players and can recruit and, 
you know, keep it simple. And um, I, I thought it was, I, I mean, I, you know, I, it, it'll be, remains to be seen if it'll be a home run hire. I mean, obviously that takes, you have to find out how he does on the job, but you know, from all things looking at it at this point in time, I don't think they could have done a better job as far as getting someone in there um, in a timely fashion, especially with the recruiting um, period starting back up now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny because he's part of he's part of he didn't play a ton. I'm not going to try and hype him into a you know some legendary player that he wasn't, but uh, he is part of my childhood. I mean, um, those were some of the first Creighton teams I ever watched as a kid, and I still remember his three pointer against Oklahoma State to this day. I mean, oh, yeah. I remember him, I remember him taking it. I remember my reaction to it. I mean, it's one of my most probably one of my most vivid memories of Creighton basketball, just because it's one of the very first, I think it's one of like the five first five memories I can remember, you know, just cause I was so young and it was all kind of, um, you know, my dad was such an emotional Creighton fan. He like a diehard, always screaming and everything. And I was just trying to kind of find my role as a fan. And, um, you know, we really started going to a lot of Creighton games when Dane Altman was hired. And, uh, so I remember those, you know, those first couple teams that started getting really good with, you know, with Rodney Buford and Ryan Sears and Ben Walker and those guys and Alan Huss's three pointer against Oklahoma State that was like, What are you doing? Uh and it goes in. Um it's actually the only three he's ever hit in his career at Creighton, so it has like a it's mythical. Yeah, it it seriously is. It has some historic meaning to it. But yeah, it was a good I went I went and watched that Blue Jay rewind rewind that Tom put together about five times, just you know, reliving that whole day again. Yeah. Um so yeah, it was. I like it. I'm I'm a fan. Yeah, uh, it should be really interesting just to see how he makes his mark. Um, obviously, I don't follow recruiting too too much. Uh, sure. I barely have time for my own kids, let alone other people's kids. But <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it sounds like he's really well connected in some of the kind of blossoming areas where the Blue Jays have interest uh, location. Uh, wise in the Midwest, Chicago, some of those places. So, like you mentioned, Coach Murphy is extremely well connected throughout the land, but especially there on the East Coast. And D Rock's got a lot of uh, great ties that we've seen up and down the Midwest and and beyond. So it'd be nice to add to that footprint a little bit as the Blue Jays kind of look for all comers to um, to kind of globalize, I guess their their Big East. Uh, roster so and i think one of the things that's kind of important that i think maybe gets underrated a little bit is the coaches around you know the metro area in nebraska seem to think highly of him as well um that's something i've kind of gotten over you know this past couple days since the hire was announced was and i feel like that's an important thing because maybe you know maybe omaha isn't like a hotbed for Big East talent or whatever, but we've certainly seen it pay off, haven't we? I mean, with Kyrie and Justin. Um, so I think making sure you have a good relationship in the community is, I think it still remains priority number one for Creighton. Um, whether you're pulling in a, an entire starting five from Omaha, Nebraska or not, I think it's important to have good relationships with the coaches around here, um, especially you know with the academies and things like that to develop future prospects and things like that. That way, you know, they grow up in Omaha in the backyard of the Blue Jays and always have them kind of on their mind. And if they turn into, 
Um, you know, if they turn into Big East prospects, that's you know not necessarily something that Creighton's going to have to spend a lot of time and money on recruiting those kids because they'll already kind of have their message sent. Yeah. Uh, and and Coach Huss seems to have good relationships with the guys around this area, even though he wasn't necessarily coaching in Nebraska. Um, I, I think he recruited that Chandler kid that went to New Mexico. Yeah. That's now been released by New Mexico since then, but uh, you know, I think you know he's got an established relationship around here, and I think that's an important step as far as building respect around the community. So, you know, not just uh, he's got a it, the footprint starts right outside the door. I guess is what I'm trying to say, and I think that's important. Sure, it makes total sense. Plus, it's just a new branch on the Dana Altman coaching tree. So, right, right, Isn't that nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> so. Brian so. Fish was holding it down for so long, and oh, the fish! <laughs> <somebody else> the, <laughs> the fish is coming back to Omaha, right? They're going to play this fall or something. In, yeah, are they going to play? They going to play Uno? Yeah, I'm probably not going to go to that. No, no. Omaha's team can take care of themselves. Yeah, I think so. Um, all right, let's let's just set the stage then for listeners, because it is it's kind of a weird time here. Um, I'm so I'm sure Coach Mack and those guys will have some more big camps. Uh, don't they usually do some around June? But between now and then, um, you know, kind of catch up li- listeners up to speed about what to expect. I know recruiting opens back up, and the Jays obviously are still in on some guys. They've got scholarships. Um, they got a new coach in the fold. Kind of what's the next couple weeks or month look like here for Blue Jays men's basketball? Well, I still think priority number one is waiting on Brian Bowen's decision, which what's today's date? The twenty fourth of April. So there's not many days left in April, and I thought I heard he's making. I mean, good God, I thought with this kid, I thought he was making this decision in April, but uh, not many days left. Um, it just the saga never ends. I love recruiting. Uh, you know, I think that's still priority number one as far as what they're waiting to see what he does. But they're not necessarily just sitting around and waiting. They're, you know, they're being proactive. They're getting after guys. I think they want to. Get another big man, obviously, on the roster just in case, you know, because they don't really know what Epperson, Jacob Epperson, is going to be like at the D1 level until they find out in the fall. So, yeah. And I, Toby's out right now, so he's not doing any work for a few months. Um, and that just leaves you with Martine. So I think they, I think prior, I think another priority is to get another big, regardless of what Bowen decides to do. Um, and then after that, it seems like just go after the best available prospect left on the board, whether that's a transfer, a grad transfer, a two year, uh, you know, a sit one play two or, um, a, you know, a 2017 or that's, you know, still waiting out there. Um, yeah, it's, but it's going to be a busy time. It's not going to seem like it, you know, cause it's obviously going to be all behind the scenes type of stuff, but you know, there are still some, there is still some roster attrition left to go here. I think before it's all said and done before the fall workout, before the summer workouts start, I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, there might be some. There's going to be some new faces on the team still to come. So, it's by no means an off season for the coaches yet. So you mentioned uh, Tugs Bowen still on the on the list for him. Um, I want you to let me know what you think here. So right now, on the recruiting board at BlueJayUnderground.com, our message board that we host for free. Currently, the Brian Bowen thread is up to 56 pages. Yeah. It's so I'm not sure. That might be a record for uh, any recruit, let alone one that hasn't committed yet. Do you what, – what number of page 
will that get to before Tugs decides? What are you? What are we at right now? Fifty four. Fifty six. Fifty six. Fifty six pages. Before he decides, yeah. um, I think there's going to be like kind of a a really hot rumor that okay. comes up that kind of says, um, you know, he's he here he's coming to blah 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 or whatever, you know what I mean? Okay. Like there'll be some kind of like a hot take out there that you know that has information, inside information. So I think that's going to get like two to three more pages. So I'm going to go. I'm going to say it lands on 60 when he commits, whether it's to Creighton or not. I think it'll get to 60. Okay. My prediction. 60. Got it. So I feel like there's one more rumor coming out or one more article that'll get picked apart before he ultimately decides where he's going. One That's more random point. interview. Yeah. How about you just start the rumor? Like, you just oh. say something tonight, and then maybe you can kind of, like, pump up your own guess, I guess. I don't know. Did I just, like, tweet out, like, tug, like, the eye emoji <laughs> or whatever? Like, <laughs> Good call, dude. Just oh, my gosh. Like, did you see this? what Matt D put on Twitter? <laughs> yeah. No, but, I mean, like, people are kind of, I don't know, people are, like, tired of it or whatever. Man, I don't care. Again, it goes back to you're picking a high, you're, you're picking a college. You're a high school kid picking a college. I, I remember sitting in my living room at this time, after you know, like getting ready to graduate high school, I knew I was going to go to Creighton, but there were still like doubts I had. You know, I still thought about going to other schools, and certainly yeah. that's where me and Tugs Bowen comparisons stop. But that's where they end. <laughs> that's where they end. But you know, I think it's he's just trying to pick a high school, man. I know yeah. everybody gets jaded about the recruiting stuff, but hey, man. Well, it's just I know. It, it, it first of all. Let's just be let's just be honest. If he chooses Creighton, all that noise goes away. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's like that all of a sudden becomes completely forgiven in a matter of thirty seconds. How long he took or whatever, how how much of a grudge you hold in that regard. Right. Uh, that's just like fans being frustrated that he hasn't made a choice yet, and that despite you know the pitches have already been made. Essentially, there's no more work to be done. He kind of knows everything there is to know. You know, especially with the guys all pretty much committing or staying at this point, he knows the roster layout and things like that. He's just making a, he's just, it just comes down to making a choice at this point. So, yeah. you know, I think for what the, you know, from the fans perspective, they kind of process it really quick. Like, okay, Arizona lost this guy. Michigan state lost this guy. Creighton lost this guy. All right, let's go make a choice in the next 30 minutes. Cause that's all the information, Right. you know, it just takes a little bit longer for the person who actually has to make the decision. So, you know, if he is, I mean, as long as he's in school before the fall enrollment, you know, whether it's great what, or someone yeah. else. He, he can, can do whatever do he wants. He can take as long as he wants, so as long as he's eligible in the fall. Okay, well, you heard it here first. Matt DeMarinas, inside information, says he's going <laughs> to wait until the fall to show up. <laughs> now, um, now, okay, well, we've talked enough about high schoolers right now. Let's, yeah. let's get to the big ticket item tonight. And I'm talking big. I'm talking 10 games in a row big. I'm talking your men's baseball program. The Creighton Blue Jays, the Grinders, Secret Service, and his boys. Secrets? Um, 18 and 6 now, which, you know, that's. 18 and 6. 18 and 16, sorry. Um, Not, you know, at first blush, you're like, eh, okay. But let's talk about 10 wins in a row. They lost a 
just a heartbreaker 14 inning game the first night of a weekend series here in Omaha to St. John's a couple weeks ago and since have not lost another one. So what's it been like down at TD Ameritrade Park besides, you know, now it's a launching pad for dingers and stuff. What's uh, <laughs> what's it been like the last couple of weeks watching this team kind of round into shape? I'll tell you what, I'm really excited for this show because a little, little, you know, a little tidbit for our listeners is that Bryant is a big Creighton baseball fan. So, um, I wasn't sure how, at, you know, the first month and a half, I wasn't sure how much baseball we were actually going to fit into these podcasts, just based on how they were playing early. Um, and if you wanted to actually terrible, talk about, you mean? Yeah, yeah, they, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. terrible. Um, but man, these Bayou Blue Jays—they're learning how to fly, and they're like leaving the nest and leaving the yard and. Uh, stringing wins together, and you know they look really good. I, it's been interesting to watch them kind of flip the switch here because it did seem like it was going to be an interesting season because it seemed like okay, you're replacing eight guys in the everyday lineup. I mean, just think about that eight. And for ba- for new baseball fans out there, you only get nine, so you're replacing eight of those guys. <laughs> right. For all you newbies out there. Yeah, for all you guys new to Creighton Baseball. You might as well just turn the podcast off at this point, people. Because it's going to get deep. We're going deep inside this. They replaced eight of nine guys, and the one guy they had coming back was Mike Amodi, who was not an everyday starter in the first place. So really, you had nine new everyday starters in the lineup. That's insane. You know what I mean? That's a a crazy amount of turnover. Um, And then the pitching staff was intact, but it's like, okay, well, if you can't play any defense behind them or can't score any runs, that pitching staff is kind of just, you know, out there at the mercy of God's will, almost just throwing the ball out there and hoping for the best. Right. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, there were some growing pains. I mean, that, that one and 11, that eight and 16, that's, that's, that's part of their story, but you know, they've really turned a page here. I mean, the young bats are playing well, they're defending well, they're not making boneheaded mistakes as much in the field or in the base pass like they used to. The at-bats are getting, you know, more seasoned. They're not necessarily going up there just, you know, trying to find the first pitch they can drive, whether they can see it or not, and swinging away type of deal. So it's been fun to kind of watch them mature a little bit. And, you know, it really is a youth movement. I mean, I just... um kind of broke it down a little bit earlier today with the freshmen and what they're doing since, you know, throughout this whole 10 game streak. And, you know, when you look at the, their, their, you know, the four freshmen that are, there's four true freshmen that are in this lineup. I mean, Isaac Collins is hitting from the two hole. Um, and he's hitting 459 in this 10 game winning streak. You know, he's scored nine times his walk to strikeout ratio is seven to six. So, I mean, he's seeing the ball really well. He's got good strike zone discipline, and, you know, Will Robertson had a big home run the other night on Friday to tie the game in the eighth inning against Villanova, an absolute, like, he just crushed one. Man, that was one of the hardest hit balls I've seen to that part in right field ever since this building opened, ever. I mean, it got out so fast. You didn't have time to process it. It was contact and gone. I think Bishop didn't know what was happening. On John's call, I think he just thought it was going to drop into the bullpen, and he was – genuinely shocked that that ball carried over the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a bomb. Right fielder didn't even move. I mean, you don't see that at TD very much where the right fielder doesn't even move. Yeah, he just kind of was like, it was way over his head immediately. So, yeah, big shot to tie it in the eighth against Villanova as part of the sweep this weekend. Um, you know, Jason Albury's kind of coming on. He had a big hit 
uh, the other night on Saturday, you know, and they, they won 11 to two, but it was um, tied two to two when he came up with an RBI single up the middle um, in the sixth, I believe, or the seventh inning. So it was a big hit by him, and he's kind of getting his back going a little bit. And then Parker Upton at the bottom of the lineup turning things over. Um, you know, he's hitting over 300 in the streak. He's, his walk-to-strikeout ratio is one-to-one. Um, you know, he scored nine times, driven in four. I mean, he's kind of like a almost another leadoff hitter there at the bottom of the lineup to turn things over for Brinkman and Collins and Lovano. So, I mean, it really has been – the young guys stepping up. I mean, those four are hitting 350 in this 10-game streak. They've scored 32 runs. So you're getting three runs a game right there in the last 10 games, three runs per game out of your freshman only. And that's not even, you know, before you get to Amodi and Lovano and Bryce only, who's tearing the cover off the ball right now. Man, his swings look really good, don't they? Yeah, I mean, he was struggling early. I think he was he was really striking out a lot and wasn't making good contact and he was Horrible at bunting and all this stuff. I mean, he's kind of turning turning his season around right now. He was he's hitting four fifty with nine RBIs in this ten game streak. So I mean, he's been tearing the cover off the ball. Uh, you know that's so you know you got the freshmen setting the table for all those guys. I mean, this team and by really all just, those guys, I mean Lovano's a sophomore, Michael Moe's yeah. a redshirt sophomore. It's really only um, Landite and only that are right. seniors in that lineup, uh, and. And so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been really impressive to watch those young guys kind of get into the mix. And the pitching has been really solid. I mean, I know you've got thoughts on that, and that's where a lot of the Jays' experience lies. We have interviews tonight with Ethan DeCaster and David Gerber um, that we'll close the show with. Really good interview Matt was able to pull together with those two guys, big, big cogs in the bullpen. Um, but, you know, from Albrecht, down through Regala and Raleigh Lacey, and then, you know, even the midweek stuff, uh, Austin Strohschein having a great outing against Nebraska last week. Um, just a lot of a lot of senior leadership there on the mound and upperclassmen leadership on the, in the, on the mound that it's really an interesting dichotomy that this team has to it right now between in the field and mm-hmm. the bullpen. So. And Eric Werdekemper, I think, deserves a lot of credit too in – uh, Keith Regala finally gave it to him the other day. He, I was just, well, I mean, you're just watching it and you're wondering. You, you clearly something always. I don't know what it was that stuck out to me that looked different about this pitching staff this year. But I mean, in years past, 100 pitches was an automatic. No matter what the situation is, that's you're pulled. You know what I mean? Like that. Right. Ed, Ed didn't like going over 100 pitches. You know, he wanted to preserve guys. Well, let's be honest. Was, he probably doesn't like going over 100 pitches now. I mean, he probably doesn't, but it clearly, but it doesn't look like guys are like breaking. It doesn't look like they're like tired after a pitch. You know, Keith looked really fresh in the eighth inning yesterday. Sure, he did. And he, was, and he came out there with 112 pitches to start the inning. And then, you know, he gives credit to Eric Werdekemper for that. You know, obviously a former Blue Jay ace and former Yankee. I wish he had made it to the majors, but you know, um, you know, for the conditioning program and the way he gets the guys in shape and the way he gets them, you know, to make sure they're. They're getting fresher as their outing goes along. And, um, you know, Keith is the pitcher of the week in the conference again. Uh, you know, he went eight innings yesterday, struck out ten. Um, you know, Raleigh Lacey was pretty good on Friday. Albrecht was good in, you know, dueling with Hunter Shriver, who's a stud for Villanova on Saturday and keeping the Jays in the game until they could get going late in the against Villanova's bullpen, which is – Ooh, man, how excited. The worst. Ooh. Wow. Wow. They had a rough weekend, man. I'm not even really sure. Uh, I mean, Saturday I feel like was, if they read Saturday your hard, article, Saturday night was hard to watch. I like, feel like if they read your article after Saturday night's game, like some of them might have cried, Matt. 
Like, probably, I, I really feel like it was probably going to be emotional for them. <laughs> that was so they hit so many batters, <sighs> walked so many batters with the bases loaded. Like they still couldn't stop doing it. I mean, when you think, okay, the bases are loaded, I better, you know, focus here. Like, no, they just kept plunking guys. Um, yeah, that bullpen was really. I mean, and it's, it's too bad too because their starting pitchers were pretty good all weekend, really. Um, you know, Hunter Shriver obviously is one of the best pitchers in the conference, if not the best. So, you know, you knew what he was going to do on Saturday um, in keeping those guys in the game, and he did his job. You know, but the other two, Ryan Doty on Saturday did a good job, and uh, Jesse um, or Jonathan, I can't remember what his last name is, on Friday is a Friday starter. He's a young guy, but he kind of got knocked around a little bit. But, you know, he still kept him in the ball game. Um but, yeah, it was just a bullpen implosion every single time. I mean, you know, Creighton's been doing that to the bullpens lately. I mean, uh, you know, during this, this last 10 games, they're only outscoring teams 25 to 18 in the first five innings. And they're not scoring them 40 to 20 in the last three. I mean, just think about that. 40 runs in the last three innings in 10 games. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're really, you know, kind of flipping the switch there when it gets into crunch time, which is, again – something that just blows me away when you consider how young they are because it's usually when it's time to tighten up. Um, but it's been the opposite of that for, you know, this young team in the later innings. They've, they've almost – the offense is almost – that's when the offense gets started is the later innings when they get to a bullpen. So Well, and I think it's interesting too because you and I were both at the Steak Fry, and I know you talked to service, Coach Service, a ton more than anybody does, you know, from White and Blue Review uh, else uh, otherwise. But – you know, it always kind of sounds like coach speak when you stand up there in front of a room and there's 30-some guys and you say, oh, I'm not sure how good we're going to be because these guys are really young. But, you know, it's a long season and these guys won't really be freshmen and newcomers for all too long because they're going to get tons of opportunity. I mean, there was no way they couldn't get tons of opportunity, just the sheer numbers of things and the talent there too as well. But, I mean, it's, it's actually kind of turned out to be true. Right. I mean, you, you, you use the first month to five weeks of the season to get guys opportunities and they work out some of this adjustment to college ball. And then, you know, as they're starting to familiarize themselves with the day in, day out grind of, you know, weekend series and then maybe one or two midweek games, depending on the weather, some of that's travel or whatnot. Um, yeah, they're not really new newcomers anymore and then you hit conference season and now you got your guys ready to go and you're eight and one in conference play and you've got a nice couple game cushion over St. John's who's really really solid team but you've got the tiebreaker there you got your conference tournament in Omaha again and I swear to god if you do not win that tournament in Omaha I'm not going (laughs) to go again so they got to do it Um, you know and the thing is, like, they're, they're going to deal with some situations that they haven't been in. That's part of the whole process. I mean, 8 and 16 was something they never dealt with before. This 10-game winning streak now is going to be something they had never dealt with before. So how they handle success. We've already seen how they handle failure. They respond to that. How do they handle <laughs> That doesn't I mean, mean we they... need to have more of it. No, but, it, but I mean, it, with baseball, you know how it goes. Know. Right. You know, the slumps, the slumps just come, and then you have to work your way out of them, right? Yep. I mean, no one goes – you know, no one hits 400 for 162 games. I mean, Bryce only isn't going to hit 450 the rest of the season. No. So there's going to be a there's going to be a dip in all this production that you know the freshmen are raking right now. Collins is hitting over 450 in the last 10 games. So is Bryce only. You know, Robertson's starting to see the ball really well. I mean, there's going to be a drop off there. 
So it's all, you know, you hope it doesn't happen at the same time because you want your team to still be able to put something together. But, you know, how they handle that is going to be the next phase of this season. And then when they get in the conference tournament, because I think it's funny right now, they sit at 8-1 and one in the Big East. And if you look at the past, you know, records that have qualified for the conference tournament, because only four out of the seven make it, um, they're pretty much pretty close to locking up a spot in that already. So... Which even three weeks ago we thought might be an issue. Yeah, sure. No, 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 absolutely. Yeah. But, yes, Zay Jones is playing well. Seton Hall's playing well. Xavier's playing well. Butler, I don't know how, is playing well. Um, that still doesn't – I don't that, I don't equate that very well. But, uh, you know, there's going to be there's gonna be another down part of this roller coaster here. And then, you know, how they recover from that. And then if they get – once they get into conference tournament play, that's a pressure situation there. Playing at home in do or die baseball games, you know it's double elimination tournament, but that's your you're playing for an NCAA tournament, a regional right there. You know what I mean? That's a different kind of pressure. We've seen that not this, we've seen this this team, not this team, but Creighton, not handle that situation very well in the past. As far as knowing that it's time to you know win a do or die game and make a regional when it comes to that, you know what I mean? So. You know, a couple of years ago in New York, I know having a do-or-die championship game against a team you already beat a couple of days earlier is kind of is you know absolutely unfair. There's no way around saying that's not a, a that's a fair situation. But it was again, Creighton knew what they had to do that day and they yeah. didn't do it. Right? Sure. So, I mean, that's what it comes down to when you want to be a champion, right? When it's time to play on the biggest stage and the pressure situation, how you handle that is what determines if you're a champion or not, right? So, I mean, that's what that's what's been holding them back the last couple of years and why they haven't made regionals. So that's going to be the situation for this young group again when they get to May and they're hosting the conference tournament in Omaha. You know, how they handle the pressure of that situation will determine what their postseason fate is. So, I mean, the story is by no means – this isn't like – it's not time to start celebrating. There's 17 games left in the season. Um some tough teams still on the schedule. Xavier's coming this weekend. Wichita State's coming tomorrow night, which, again, midweek games are whatever at this point. But, uh, you know, there's still some opportunities for this team to face adversity. And, and then the Big East tournament will be its own monster. So, um, Man, right I now. Hope the, I hope the weather's good for that. I cannot wait to be down there for that. The last the time. Yeah, the last time they. Yeah, it's it's going to be a blast. If they yeah, qualify. Like I said, I know, I'm, pretty, I know. I'm pretty sure they've kind of already done that. I, I don't know. think. I mean, when you just look at the top four right now, it's it's Creighton, St. John's, Seton Hall, Xavier. I mean, yeah, kind of what I expected to be. How uh, awesome would it be, though, like if for whatever reason they're like one game behind qualifying and Val just like made the call. She's like, you know what, Butler, just no, stay home. We'll let the Jays play, and it'll be fine. We'll make, we'll sell a couple tickets. And... Any, anything that keeps Butler from playing for a title in baseball is fine with me. Totally. But right. yeah, I was actually joking with Alex about that. He's like, you know, Butler's going to win the whole tournament this year in Omaha after all the crap you talk about him. I was like, I know that's what would happen. <laughs> well, yeah, you mentioned Wichita State Tuesday night, yeah. and that's a midweek game, but they're going to be coming to Omaha next year for you first know, game set, yep. third game set, a weekend set, one of the. You know, we'll get some of the bonus points in the RPI for the American Athletic Conference and how they'll fit into that mix. That's kind of a weird. I'm so deal. glad you brought up RPI because I'm I know because you, you've been tweeting oh about RPI. Goodness. 
I am like absolutely. I just like shocked myself to death, and like an hour before we started this podcast, uh, the Big East is twelfth as a conference in RPI right now. Now I would never I mean, have thought that. Right? They're better than the Valley. I also would never have thought that. But again, but if I guess about- you've got like a Wichita State down the way they are, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and if it were for Dallas Baptist, Missouri Valley would be like 18th in RPI in conference. Right now they're 14th. Missouri State is um, obviously really good. They're a top 25 team. Dallas Baptist is a top fit, top 60 team. Um, and then the rest is just like Southern Illinois, 189. Indiana State, 176. Bradley, 121. Evansville, 263. Wichita State, 135. Illinois State, 270. That is a bad baseball league. Yeah, and Illinois what? State's what? usually better than that, right? Yeah, they're ten and twenty-seven this year. Eesh. One and eight in the league. What happened to this conference? Uh, and I don't know what's happened to the conference just overall, man. Like, if you would have told me six years ago what the Valley basketball and baseball conference would be like now, I would have yeah. laughed at you. I mean, just straight up laughed. Yeah, I, you know, I, it's crazy. Totally. It's. I mean, they just. It's. It's going Has downhill any in a hurry. Has any league been hit absolutely worse than the Valley just across all sports with realignment? I don't think so. I don't, and I don't even think it's even close. Right? Like all the jokes about the Big 12, they're still an elite league. You know what I mean? I mean, their basketball conference is ridiculous. Yeah, they might you know? not be like – they might not be as elite as they used to be as far as competing for national titles, but, you know, they're still a power conference for sure. Sure. And – uh but yeah, I don't think it's even close as far as who's as far as the valley being hit the hardest out of all this since all this realignment started. I mean, <clears throat> maybe Conference USA because what Conference USA lost Marquette, Memphis, and Louisville like back in the day, right when it all first started. Yeah. So maybe that's an argument you can make, Conference USA. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, other than that, absolutely, the valley has been hit the hardest. I was gonna say I can't make an argument for conference I don't even know still exists because for like 20 <laughs> seconds there I just blacked out and I didn't You're know like, Conference what? USA was still a thing. Exactly. But, but then I, mean, I remembered North Texas and how they embarrassed us uh, down <laughs> in Denton a couple years ago in the just absolute bottom right. of the barrel Jays loss that season. I took a, na- I took a nap during that game. So, <laughs> so did Austin Chapman. So yeah. that's kind of weird. <laughs> no, I mean he I did because no he had been concussed whatsoever. or yeah. whatever. I have no memory of that whatsoever. So, oh boy, all you. Um, um, yeah, but I mean, what I, I the Big East being twelfth in RPI, which makes me, it's it's crazy. Like, would they have a shot if the Jays won this league way outright? Uh-huh. They continue winning two out of every three games the rest of the way. And are you going to say at large? No, they, they just have no chance. So, no team in the league They'd has ha- a chance, right? St. John's, maybe. I was I was breaking it down today because I was like, how close is this possibility? Like Creighton would have to go undefeated to have to put themselves in an at large conversation the rest of the way. So, like they literally have to still be at sixteen losses going into the conference tournament because that would probably because their RPI has jumped a hundred spots in like the last you know three weeks. Sure. So, I mean, winning is pretty much the key to the RPI, which is why it's going away. Um, <laughs> because Sounds teams, like a really cool stat. Yeah, I know. Win games. You get wins win. and RPI bonus points? All right. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Creighton would have to go undefeated going into the conference tournament and have, you know, still be at, they'd have to be 35 and 16 going into the, into the conference tournament. They'd probably still have to make the finals to have even a shot of consideration. 
Um, but St. John's, yeah, absolutely they have an at-large chance. I mean, they're 29-5 and five right now with an RPI of 30. Um, and then, so let's say that it's St. John's and Creighton in the title game. Okay. And, and Creighton I'm already wins. nervous. I'm already worried. <laughs> Got well, it. I mean, cool. let's just say that's what it is, and, say, and let's say it goes two out of three. So, I mean, St. John's gets another win, you know, and then Creighton wins the winner-take-all or whatever. That's Creighton gets the automatic bid. I wouldn't be surprised if St. John's still has a pretty good enough record slash RPI at that situation to get an at-large bid, which means Big East Baseball might get two bids. Boom. That's what we're looking but, for, Val. I mean – I, I don't even I, – I can't even process If we're right doing now. that, we're trending up, and we're not having conference tournaments on random islands by carnivals and stuff, like neutral site, like we're good. Like just keep that progression. Right. Okay. But, I mean, when you look at the – I mean, 18 – it was – in 2014, the first year of the realignment was – they were 18th in RPI. And then, my God, Golden State has beaten Portland into the ground. Right. Um Sorry, got distracted there. Uh, uh, shiny objects, it's okay. Yeah, shiny objects. Um, they were 18th in 2014, 18th in 2015. Then they were 16th last year. I was like, wow, all right. And then, you know, obviously last year was the year where Creighton had the all, all the at-large talk, and, you know, Xavier uh, played a heck of a non-conference. They got smoked in it, but they played a heck of a non-conference. And, uh, you know, kind of boosted their RPI a little bit. And then this year it's like I just looked – it's like 12th and the valley's lower than it and i'm like what is happening right now so you know trending in the right direction as far as becoming a legit league um i might just, i might have to like tailor my jokes a little bit now because it's actually right. kind of a, it's actually kind of a good baseball league villanova's bullpen notwithstanding so i mean yeah i thought Shocking. the best other than the starting pitching on saturday from both teams i thought the highlight of villanova's weekend for me were the powder blue uniforms i just am such a huge fan of those yeah just not that that means anything uh still yeah i'm uh, I'm team powder blue too i'm with you on that i'm team powder blue i love the jays 91 throwback blues those are my favorite Mm -hmm. baseball uniform in the earth right now really uh oh yeah i love those just so many good warm fuzzy feelings from when i was 11 years old watching those uniforms without the Toronto Blue Jays. I have, I envy you so much now because that was, I was just, I was a little too young to know what that was like as far as Creighton being in the college world series. And then, you know, a couple of years later was when I really started paying attention to sports and all that. So my first college world series that I can remember going to all the games for was the year before that. Oh, really? And um, when the Jays, had their magical run in 91 i was a year more into baseball and like there just weren't like i was i've always been a big cubs fan so i was always lucky that the team i liked was on tv a lot not that i'm gonna sit there and watch it a ton when i'm 11 but i went to a lot of those baseball games down at the sports complex and and um uh elsewhere and just i thought every college baseball team just scored nine or 10 runs a game. Like I just thought that's what they did. I mean, those guys uh-huh. were just, uh, I mean, it was great last year reading all the coverage and, um, you know, I thought our guys did a really good job. The world Herald did a really good job covering, um, covering the anniversary and stuff, but man, yeah, like 
those guys wouldn't have any problems hitting the ball at TD Ameritrade Park. That's for damn sure. So no, uh, that's they, a that's a that's a personnel issue. Um, <laughs> yeah, clearly TD is not the the graveyard that. How amazing is it that Jim Henry had Cliff Floyd was going to come to Creighton, and then he ended up, you know, signing or whatever. Cliff Floyd. Yeah. That guy, he can put the pop in them. Sorry, I'm getting all baseball. I'm That's getting okay. all baseball nerd right I, now, I man. This, I'm excited. Show, I knew this show was going to happen like this. I'm excited. Right. I'm taking the boys tomorrow night to watch the Wichita State game. I'm just going to yell at Gene, even though he's not there anymore. I'm just going to yell. Yeah. Um no, he might be there. I always see him like I've seen him at the College World Series like randomly a few times. So maybe he'll make the trip, and he'll probably be wearing blue. He'll probably just yeah, he'll probably just be staring guys down. Yeah, he'll be he'll be rooting for Creighton tomorrow if he goes. Yeah. Dude, Golden State is up twenty eight to five right now. Nice. Wow. All right. So anyway, um, yeah, like I was. Pro- What's James four right now? Right? James is five and a half. He'll be six in five. August. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, I was, like, literally James's age when they made the College World Series, so... There you have it. Breaking Maybe. news. <laughs> Creighton baseball making the College World Series when James is six. I do. If I fed that to you, you just run with it immediately. Oh, like, baby. Take it, take it and run. <laughs> so, you know what he did? We went to the game on Sunday afternoon, and uh-huh. uh, we're walking up, and we hear um, PA announcer giving updates <laughs> from, around the, from around the Big East. And... <laughs> <laughs> they read the Xavier. How was it? Xavier and Butler played this weekend. Yeah, yeah. And so they read the score, and you know we're just walking down, you know, Fahey Fahey Boulevard or Drive or whatever it is, and you know he's like five years old, just walking down the street. Think he's just like thinking about butterflies and stupid shit. And he's like, all of a sudden he's like, Dad, is Xavier gonna do that thing again where they start really bad for the season, but then they make a really good run deep in the season? I'm like, dude, you're five. What? And what's wrong with me? Like he knows what Xavier baseball team has done the last couple seasons. He's five. He's like, he's like a little. He, what he is right now is a little sponge. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Filled and he's filled with your with your athletic frustration. Yeah, totally. He, he all he has done is soak it all up, like a, like you know. But he's a, super a, competitive. A, he's so yeah. competitive. Right. He's um, got that from you too. Like I've seen it. Like yeah, it's pretty. Uh... Meanwhile, Connor. We took him to the game, and his favorite thing to do is dance. So he loves baseball games because every player, when they come up to their walk-up music, it's a new song for him to dance to. It's amazing. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like being at the club, and he is just living in it. I mean, you know, he gets. We go. There's three of us or four of us, and we get the we get an entire row to ourselves. It's like it's just perfect. So. So we'll take the boys to Wichita State. Don't know about this weekend, um, but yeah, a lot of good baseball on the lot of, you know, lot of good you know, baseball on the horizon. Yeah, I mean the Wichita State one is interesting. You know they've this will be the 164th time they've played in baseball. You know that? Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, I mean it's by far more than anybody Creighton has played in their history, dude. Not sure they went to the Big to... East, and I know everybody was really, myself included, like, oh, you know, you you want to play Wichita and hoops. But, like, really, that Wichita State stuff had only really percolated much in the four or five years before, uh, you know, we left. My biggest issue was, gonna, was always going to be 
leaving the baseball league and not playing Wichita consistently really? in baseball. Yeah, just always was. I mean, you saw like Southern Illinois would come and go in hoops. The Jays kind of, you know, less the last 10 years there. But even mm-hmm. before that, they've had they had their downtimes. I mean, Illinois State would do some some peaky things uh, in hoops, and Missouri State would you know be the the sad RPI bastard child with Barry Henson staring completely blank faced into the CBS cameras. Uh, <laughs> but they were always you know they had some ups and downs. But I don't know Creighton baseball and Wichita State baseball was just always that one kind of like die hard. Uh, rivalry for me um in uh in the valley across all sports so that was always always gonna be my biggest bummer piece and that's what made that valley conference tournament so awesome you know uh yeah going down to Eck or playing here rosenblatt yeah and then just so i mean it'll be interesting tomorrow night it's gonna be weird it'll be interesting to see the blue and the yellow on the same field again. Um, I went down to Eck last year, mm-hmm. and Creighton didn't, Creighton didn't play very well in Wichita State. You know, they had a good lineup. I'm, if a lot of those guys are back, I mean, it says they are. I haven't really looked at it yet, but they're going to have some guys who can hit, so it's going to be interesting. Last year, their issue was they just couldn't pitch at all. I mean, this year, they've played a tough schedule. I mean, which they, they don't have a great record, and their RPI is, you know, 135 again because the way to have a good RPI is to win games, and they haven't done that. But, you know, they've played – I think 14 top 50 teams already. I mean, that's a lot at this stage in the season. That's over half their schedule if you think about it. So, I mean, you know, that's like an SEC type of resume. Um, so, I mean, they're going to be challenging. I mean, it's just too bad because, again, I, these midweek games at this point for Creighton just don't matter because there's nothing they can do. Like I said, the only way these midweek games matter now are – if they are undefeated in Bay, like in the Big East tournament, you know what I mean. That's the, and then you know, then you'll look back and go, okay, well, what did Creighton do against Nebraska or Wichita State or uh, McNeese State, who's going to come in in May? And you know, McNeese it doesn't sound like a sexy team, but they actually are one of the best teams in the country right now. So, right, um, you know, that's going to be one of those like, okay, if Creighton actually puts together. <laughs> Like, if this streak goes biblical and they just don't ever lose again, you're going to look at those series and they'll matter. But right now, no, they don't really. Because you're not thinking about that as a realistic thing. Like, Creighton's – I mean, do you think Creighton's going to go undefeated the rest of the way? Could they? Sure, I guess. You know, they'll, I don't know. They'll, they'll, have a chance, they'll have a chance to beat everybody on the schedule, but, I mean, they probably won't because baseball's Baseball. not like that. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, realistically, the midweek games have kind of lost their meaning a little bit. Um, it's all about kind of just making sure you don't use – um, your studs out of the bullpen and waste them for a weekend series, which are the important ones now. And it's actually a good thing this week. I don't know um, if everybody knows this yet, but I mean the South Dakota state game Wednesday night out in Brookings got canceled because there's, I guess yep. they're expecting freezing weather. So that's actually really good for Creighton because they were going to play Wichita state and they're going to go to South Dakota state and then they were going to play Xavier this weekend. So, I mean, that was going to be taxing on this pitching staff. And it's a pretty good thing that they decided to cancel that South Dakota State game because um, the Xavier game this weekend is going to be really important. It's going to be another, you know, another another series against the top four team in the league, which again, as many tiebreakers as you can get against those teams, you know, only improves your a your seed in the tournament and um, your chances of making it. So, I mean, that's a big series this weekend, and for Creighton to be as well rested as possible with 
you know, just the Wichita State game on Tuesday being the one they'll play. Um, it's pretty. It's a, it's kind of like a blessing in disguise that they cancel that South Dakota State game because they'll have a chance to get my guys some more rest for Xavier. Since the all-knowing Rob Anderson probably knows that we're talking about baseball right now and projections and two bids and RPIs, Rob just slid into our Twitter feed and dropped in a nice little warrennolan.com update. So this is the April 24th bracket projection. He's got the uh-huh. Blue Jays in as the auto bid from the Big East as a four seed in Corvallis against Oregon State. Always Corvallis. Always Corvallis. They just want you to go out there, Matt. You just need no. to get. Yes. Uh, but the they bitter... know I'm an Oregon Ducks fan. I'm not an Oregon State fan. I know. Oregon... But the bigger news item, because you know we always want to try to stretch that joke as much as possible, the Big East with two in. The so field. they do it. So the projection has St. John's in the field. The wow. projection has St. John's as a three seed down in Morgantown, West Virginia. Because apparently West Virginia is good at baseball now. Whatever. Yeah, this year uh, they are. But, uh, uh, yeah, you mentioned Nebraska as a three seed right now in this projection. Uh, McNeese State, a two seed. The auto out of the Southland going to Lubbock in a 2-3 game against New Mexico. Um, so, yeah, just kind of interesting to have at least, what, three – are they playing McNeese three times? Yeah. Yeah, so they get McNeese three times. They get Nebraska once more and can win that season series for the first time since God knows when. When um, was last? Do you remember? I don't even know. Uh, was it like four years ago? Five years ago, maybe? I don't know. Interesting. If I try to look it up, it's just going to make me mad, so I'll just <laughs> not look it up. Uh, but, yeah, so – there you go, man. You're on the radar with a month left, month, month and five, you know, month, five weeks left in the season. Yeah, which again goes back to the whole narrative of this has been an amazing turnaround because for sure. Did you think we'd be talking about NCAA regionals and Big East tournaments and you know the potential of this team when they were sitting at eight and sixteen and I mean what the they lost that the Jays they lost a weekend been... series to Winthrop and got smoked by Nebraska leading into the St. John series. They were not playing well going into that series at all. Uh no, that was probably you know one of them. and that was their that was and then St. John's is obviously a team that's in line for an at large bid and they won two out of three from that series and probably could have swept it. Um Yeah, I mean just going into that series it was like, okay, well Creighton knows they have to play well in conference play, but are they capable of it? Because right now they're not playing well. I mean there was just nothing there was nothing I there was no, there wasn't anything to latch onto as far as yep, here's the reason that Creighton's gonna win this series. You know? It was St. John's had a ridiculous lineup coming in. I mean, there was it was going to be, you know, Creighton was going to have to play some of their best baseball in order to keep up with that lineup because the way they were hitting wasn't going to do it. And then they ended up playing some of their best baseball and haven't stopped. So, I mean, it's just interesting how that series kind of turned everything around. Um, because, like, yeah, the, they were not playing well going into it, and they haven't looked back since. So, I mean, it's, it just goes to show the whole, the whole narrative of this whole thing kind of flipped with that series. A lot of that has to do with pitching, and I know this is going to be kind of a hard right segue into an interview, but uh, you were able to spend some time before the weekend series with David Gerber and Ethan DeCaster catching up with those two guys in the uh, Blue Jays' bullpen. Do you want to maybe set up the interview a little bit, Matt, before we go to the uh, recording? Sure. So, I mean, Ethan and Dave, I've obviously been like stalwarts in the back end of that bullpen now for a couple of years, and, you know, Dave's a senior this year and Ethan's a junior, so... You know, one of them should be back. Um, it, it, 
it's it, and I got changed to talk to them together. So I mean, it's really interesting to see how competitive they actually are with each other while being on the same team and working for the same goal. You know what I mean? It's funny they'll you know you'll see it in the interview because I do kind of tap into that competitiveness a little bit and just to see how far it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ethan did uh, you know first start of fall workouts this year kind of warn Dave that he was coming for his job this year which is kind of funny to think about <laughs> yeah uh when you think that you know Dave's one of the you know all-time saves leaders in Creighton history and Ethan didn't care he's like I don't care I'm coming for your job you're gonna be the setup man this year and they kind of just use that to motivate each other every day mm-hmm. um but I mean Dave is Dave is I think on I don't, I don't unquestionably the leader of this team I would say um they kind of he kind of sets the tone for everybody um, in that locker room, and there is one kind of exchange in this interview, which is 25 minutes long, so you're going to have to be patient to find it, um, where I kind of ask him, I kind of just replay, I kind of just make him relive all the painful endings to the seasons the last three years with, you know, losing the one and done to Xavier on the last day when they pretty much were the best team in the Big East without question. Yeah, and losing at home to St. John's and kind of that that image that always stuck out in my head of you know the guys just sitting around the dugout and looking at you know St. John's dogpiling on their mound and realizing that you know they weren't going to go to play any postseason games and that they had kind of lost their opportunity there at home despite having the conference tournament at home and then obviously last year with the way things were going as far as potentially being a a regional team potentially being a regional host and then to see it kind of collapse. And then, you know, that Nebraska game last year when they lost on senior day and got absolutely destroyed, you know, as part of the second, you know, they played two games that day and then Nebraska was the second. So, I mean, it really was a weird day for them, but mm-hmm. you know, for them to get, I mean, when you watched everybody, all the seniors on the field, as I was writing about that game in the press box, you know, you kind of, are watching like six or seven guys that just are still in full uniform that haven't left the field. I mean, John Ullman, John Ullman walked out to the mound and just kind of stood there and you know for about ten minutes and just looked around the field. I mean, you could see that it meant a lot to them and that it was really painful to see that their season was kind of collapsing around them. Um, and then obviously it ended in Aberdeen, Maryland, wherever the hell that is. Um, and I kind of you know tap into that with him because obviously he's a senior and this is his last go around. And I kind of wanted to know if those things still motivated him. And um, he paints a pretty, pretty, very, you know, detailed, specific picture about how often he thinks about those season-ending losses and watching other teams celebrate while their season comes to an end and how much that kind of motivates him, not just from an individual perspective, but from the pain of all those guys who didn't, who aren't going to have a second chance at it this year. I mean, his own brother was a senior on the team uh, that lost that one and done game to Xavier. So, I mean, it's personal for him. And it's one of the more serious moments of this interview because he kind of, you can see the fire that, that it really is something that drives him every day. Um, And you kind of see that fire that he takes on the mound with him in that answer. So it's one of the most, uh, you know, detailed and, you know, just from uh, just turning a page and, like, making a guy just go to a kind of like a dark place athletically as far as competitive streak goes. I mean, you can see how much that bothers him, having to watch, you know, year after year while teams dogpile in front of them and how much it drives him today. So it's one of it's, – it's kind of a fascinating look at it. 
I think you've said, I mean, Did do I we even, do we even, do we even no, yeah. do we even need to listen to it? Um, I'm excited. Um, I'm sure everybody will be too. So we're going to go ahead and listen to this interview. Uh, Ethan DeCaster, David Gerber with Matt DeMarinas here on the Blue Jays Bites podcast, sponsored by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. So we're sitting here with uh, the back end of the Creighton Blue Jays bullpen. Ethan DeCaster will say you first because you're the setup man. Although we'll get into the competitive side of you guys in a little bit. And then closer, David Gerber. Um, first of all, guys, thanks for joining me today. Uh, you guys just got in with a practice, so you're probably ready for a nap or a 12-hour nap or something. Um, <laughs> I guess, first of all, this is a better time to talk to you guys. I know, Dave, you're specifically a guy that I always look to after the game because your mood is completely dictated by winning and losing. Yeah. If you lose, you probably won't want to talk to you. If you win, you'll be the happiest guy on the team. Yeah. How does it feel right now to be in the midst of a seven-game winning streak, considering where you guys came from at the beginning of the year? Yeah, absolutely. It feels unbelievable. You know, when you go through a, a streak that we had early on, and, and you feel losing, um, it makes winning feel that much better. And so, uh, yeah, it's been nice to be kind of on the other end of that right now, and, and uh, it's been going well. So, um, I guess you knew when the team came back and you kind of saw how the roster was shaking out that you guys would have a lot of experience in the pitching staff, a lot of guys back that you trusted and you knew what they could do. Your roles were pretty much set already other than an injury that would, would change that. The lineup, on the other hand, you know, Michael Amodi's the only one back and he was a part-time starter last year, shared it with Keith and uh, Matt. I mean, were you guys bracing yourselves for a non-conference like that? I mean, obviously you don't want to – you felt like you were in tight games and you probably thought, man, we shouldn't be 8 and 16. We probably could have won some of those things. But, I mean, when you were sitting there at 8 and 16 about to face St. John's, were you like, okay, these lumps were kind of expected and we're better. We're going to be better than this at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, I think we knew early on that it wasn't going to go as, you know, so smooth, extremely smooth. Um, Mm -hmm. And we knew that there'd be some bumps in the road. I think our mindset early on was just keep looking forward. Even when we had those bumps in the road, it was, hey, what can we do in the future? Keep, you know, pushing for the next game, our next opportunity. And so when we got to conference, it was like, hey, this is our fresh start. We know what we've got. Um, you know, let's go out there and, and let's prepare and, and let's let's do what we know we can do. So, Yeah, and with, uh, with a bunch of young guys, I mean, just early on, we just had to keep them – Keep them like their spirits up more than anything, just because sure. they hadn't experienced winning like we had in the past. So it was, it was our job not only for us to kind of pick our, pick those guys up, but also just kind of help help them rebound like even mentally and focus on that side too. I guess when you have a young lineup like that and you see that, you know, there's situations where they didn't execute late game or they're they they missed something there that that you use that a veteran probably wouldn't. You know, from a pitching standpoint, like I said, you guys had all the experience, the, but the hitters didn't have anybody to lean on as far as how to learn their way through those struggles. Did they come to you at all? Were you guys, I mean, just from an experience standpoint, did you be like, okay, I'm not a hitter, but I know I've seen guys go through this time before at a D1 level, and I know you're going to bounce out of it because you're talented. Like, how, how did you relay that message to them and make it believable, to make them believe in it? Yeah, definitely. I think it was also a learning experience for us, too, just just from trying to, like, I mean, it's easy to get frustrated with some of that stuff. So it's we, t- we talk in between each other, first mm-hmm. of all, and then we would kind of come up with, like, an overall message to kind of teach them and 
we know these guys are talented too. These and so we got to make them believe it too. I mean, we've played. Coach talks a lot about last year's team, and we were so close and whatnot. But we had to turn the page this year, and we know that these guys coming in have the talent that that to replace these guys. And so that was kind of just making them believe that too was kind of our our key. And and you know when, when coach talks about previous teams. A lot of the players that he talks about, you know, almost seem perfect in a sense. When you talk about Nicky Lopez or Danny Woodrow, uh, John Oltman, you know, those guys. Um, and it's it's good for some of those guys to understand the new guys here. Like, hey, th- they had their tough, rough patches too, mm-hmm. and it's normal. Um, so, you know, just keep working hard, keep grinding through it, and everything will be all right. So, It's hard to say that because you guys are in the middle of it still and that you haven't, you know, you haven't reached the end. But, I mean, to say that a turning point in the season – to say that St. John's series was a turning point, you know, last year it seemed like the Georgetown getaway game where you lost a 3-2 game, you know, when you had a sweep, maybe, and then the Xavier series where you lost two out of three close games, you know, in, in late situations. It felt like that was the turning point of the season to go downward. The St. John's one on Friday, even though you lost 3-2, to it felt like that might have been a turning point in the positive direction, even in a loss. Did you guys feel like... Even in the disappointment of losing that 3-2 game in the 14 innings, even with you, you know, pretty much wearing that thing out all night, <laughs> uh, did you feel like, could you go back into the dugout that night and be like, we can still win this series? I feel like we've, you know, this team has turned a corner. They're, they're playing with a little bit more swagger, a little more confidence. And I think whoever comes into this ballpark, we feel like we can both beat on any day. Yeah, I think, I, you know, like you said, it was a loss, but we walked into the, to the locker room, I think, with a, an understanding that, hey, you know, St. John's is a great team, and they're having a lot of success this year, and we hung with them for a long time. Um, and so it, it was kind of like that step in the right direction, like, okay, we're continuing to get better, and now we're seeing against some of these, you know, talented teams that we can, we can hang on and hang around with these guys. So that was something. Yeah, add on to that. Um, I mean, we had played against most of those St. John guys before, so we kind of we, we've seen those players before and whatnot mm-hmm. where this, the new guys on the team hadn't seen anything, so they're just looking at their record and them being a top the ten team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So for them it was just kind of like I think after that first game it was like, hey, we kind of, we, they look, look around and they know we, we can play with any of these guys when we bring our A game. So I think that was just a big confidence thing with all those guys, and then it obviously uh, followed suit the next day then. And it's funny when you think about last year and the way the end of the Georgetown series, the Georgetown series ended where you lost that getaway game. This year, it looks like you're about to lose that getaway game again. You know, you're down, I think, what, six runs going into the eighth inning, and you put eight answers together to win that thing. I mean, what was that like from watching that from the dugout, just seeing the offense? You know, they know their backs are against the wall at that point. Um, just continue to put at-bats together. It's not like you guys were pounded two grand slams and won it that way. You have put one at-bat after another together, kept moving them on down the line. Yeah. So, you know that was kind of a hard-earned comeback. What was that like to watch it from the dugout? Yeah, we were yeah we were in the bullpen and we were kind of watching and seeing how it was playing out. It is really impressive to see these guys go through that where, like you said, your back's against the wall and to not give in and to push forward. And I think that it was a really great learning experience for um, everybody on the team to understand that a game's never over mm-hmm. and you've always got an opportunity. And and you know we might run into a game like that later on this season where. Uh, it's nice to know that in the past we've been able to rally late. Um, so I think that was a great experience for us to, to handle as a team, for sure. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's just how we play at Creighton, too. That, that was kind of a good, like a perfect example of just how we never give in and just how you keep grinding no matter the situation that we're never going to get. We could be down 10 runs and we're still going to fight that last inning. Just, that's, that's just who we are more than anything.
What did you notice about the guys? Um, you know, Isaiah, Isaac, Isaac Collins, Isaiah Collins, Isaac Collins. I'm someone back home. <laughs> Isaac Collins, uh, Parker Upton, Will Robertson. Those guys seem to be like um, at the plate. They seem to have a good approach at the plate, a veteran approach at the plate. It seems like they're not. You know, when you get them, when you get ahead on the count against them, it's not out like uh, it's not over like a normal freshman would be, where they'd swing at the first bad pitch coming in, and you'd get them that way. I mean, what have you seen from their approach that makes them hard to? Put away, especially when they're down on the count. I mean, you saw Parker battle back, um, you know, the other night against Nebraska to get an RBI in the ninth. You know, from your perspective, what is what have you seen out of their approach that makes them hard to put away when when things are going like that? That's probably been the most impressive thing about those guys is their poise that they play with. I mean, they play like veterans. Like mm-hmm. we're it, as a freshman, a lot. I mean, our best players like Nicky, Jake, Peter, the kind of guys to look back on. Some of those guys just early on they can get a little bit antsy or whatever. They can see the talent they have. But these guys just have like that, just poise. that kind of like they do. They set the tone for our whole offense. Even even guys like Bryce and Mike feed off some of those guys. And sure. that's, I mean, it, so it's nice to see those young guys, which is a that's a pretty big skill to have as a young player early on to kind of play with that poise and like a veteran. Yeah, and I and I would definitely say that was the biggest thing that I recognized early on was these guys went to the plate, and you see sometimes freshmen get sped up in the box, right? They're going to the pitcher's pace. These guys have their own pace. You know, they play at their own at their own speed. They have great approaches, and, and that's something that you don't see often in young players, and it's been really fun to watch, you know, them carry that out. The other night you uh, made a bit of history tying Creighton's all-time saves record. Um, I know it's going to be tough to talk about it individually because a lot of you guys like to keep on message about the team and things like that, but, I mean, that has to be a form of personal pride for you, and I know Mike is proud of it. Yeah. Um, just considering, you know, where you started your career and, you know, not being on the travel roster, all the things that we've talked about over the years with you, yeah. and now to see you as a senior now with, you know, your one save away from being the all-time record holder, that has to be a point of pride yeah. for you considering where you came from. Yeah, it is. I think Ethan and I both, we've had some interesting beginnings to our careers sure. and had some opportunities that both of us, I don't think, uh, imagined we'd have early on. Um, and, and, yeah, like you said, we're... We're always trying to talk about the team, and, and that's what matters. It's the team. But, you know, in this case, it is. It's nice to, to have seen where we've been or where I've come from and, and to see that I've been able to accomplish something like that. Um, it says a lot about what, you know, Coach Service has to say, to trusting the process, to preparation, um, because due to that, I've been able to have some of those opportunities to um, be able to put my name in, you know, Creighton history, which is really cool. Um, and so I've, you know, I try not to focus on it very much because really what we're trying to do is, you know, team to, to accomplish something great yeah, this year. you're trying to win that one game. Yeah, exactly. It's lurking out there. But it's, you know, it is nice to, to step back every now and then and say, hey, this is uh, something cool and, and I'm going to enjoy it a little bit. So it's kind of cool, yeah. Was there a tough part of it for you early in your career where you, I mean, it's easy to look back on now and think that you had, yeah, you know, Dave Gerber had a great career at Creighton, but I yeah. mean, there had to be moments where you, where doubt crept in, or yeah. I'm just assuming here. I mean, did you have tough days where you were like, you know, do I need to go somewhere else yeah. to have an opportunity? I mean, things like that. Yeah, I did. I actually, I had a lot of that because um, it was tough. I came in as a pitcher who threw over the top, yeah. and uh, you know, at the end of my freshman year, I didn't have many opportunities, and uh, it was a lot of, hey. We're going to try this out, see how it goes. So there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of me, you know, throwing all my marbles in one bag and saying, hey, I'm going to put everything I got into this submarine sidearm thing and hope it works out. 
Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of doubt along the way because you're questioning, um, you know, what it does, is this what's right for me? Is coach right about this? Um, but just trying to understand that it's just part of the process. There's lots of ups and downs to any, you know, any situation you go through in college baseball in life, there's going to be ups and downs. It's, you know, being able to handle it and keep pushing through. Um, I think that's something I've, I've done pretty well with. I know it's something Ethan's done really well with because we've both had some interesting paths early on. Yeah. And being able to handle that adversity early uh, definitely makes you a little bit uh, a little bit better in situations as you, as you get older and you mature as a player. So. I mean, Ethan, for you, like David said, you guys have had similar paths. I mean, at the risk of this sounding like the same answer he just gave, I mean, how did you get through that situation? Because this is, you know, a different situation. He's being thrust into a closer role, but, you know, you're still in a trusted position where, I mean, not many setup men are going out there against a ranked team and pretty much being told to throw until the game ends, you know. I mean, how did you get through, first of all, that situation where you didn't have a defined role in the beginning and, you know, nowadays that's what seems to be the most important thing for some student-athletes. That's why you see the transfers, you know, in and out of every single program you see. How did you get through those tough times? Who brought you through it? And, you know, how grateful are you that you were able to work through that initial frustration and, you know, maybe grateful is not the right word, but be, uh, you know, as a junior now in a role where you're dependent on. Yeah. Um, like Dave, I mean, I came in over the top too, so – and I knew it wasn't going to work out exactly, so I knew I had to reinvent myself and create some kind of just uniqueness about me that, where I, I could have a different look at the look, uh, for the hitters or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So that was early on, just trying to make that same adjustment. And same with Dave, just ups and downs with that, just kind of a, just constantly working on different grips and slots and whatnot, and just keep working, watching endless videos of pro pitchers and whatnot, and just trying to pick pick little things from them. But uh, yeah, I mean, I knew. I mean, even that redshirt freshman year, I didn't travel the first couple weekends, but we continued to keep working back back here. We'd throw bullpens weekly in the in the kitty, just waiting for that one opportunity and kind of gearing up, knowing that when you get that one opportunity, you gotta you gotta take it and run with it. So, I mean, I just we we it was the same with Dave. I mean, we just gave it everything we got, and when we got that one opportunity, we just try to run with it, and uh, you know it ended up working out. And that's I mean, we're super grateful for Coach to give us that opportunity, and uh, you know. It's been it's been really special, and we wouldn't take it back for the world. Something I'm not sure a ton of people know about you two is that you're really competitive with each other, between each other. Yeah. Um, was that all born from you guys, again, not being part of the travel roster and kind of working out together and, you know, trying to build it up together? Or where did it, where did it come from, and how have you used it over the years to be a positive only, where you're not like... Um, you know, where it's not like you guys don't get along anymore, you know, where it becomes petty and things like that. How have you used that competitive fire to fuel each other, you know, while yeah. you're competing with each, against each other, even on the same team? Yeah, I mean, Ethan and I are going to be friends for the rest of our lives. And um, and so we are a little bit competitive with each other, especially because we're kind of two side armors, two guys doing it together, <laughs> had similar paths. And so, I mean, we'll, we'll get on each other about, you know, velocity or this or that. And, and a lot of it is stemmed from, you know, just good fun, but a lot of it, too, we push each other to try to be better. Um, and we both respect the paths that we've gone through, and we can look to each other for experience because we've gone through those similar paths. So, um, yeah, we're competitive, but, it, you know, we have fun with it, and, uh, and we make sure it makes us better players because, in, in the end, that helps out our team uh, just as much. So Yeah, and we know, 
in the end, we know the competition is going to bring the best out of both of us and make us better and keep us fine-tuned where you're not getting complacent with one another. And, I mean, we, we, like, we're pretty open conversations about it where, uh, you know, I'm always telling Dave, like, he's obviously deserved the closer rule the last two years, but I'm saying, hey, I'm coming for you kind of thing. Just to kind of keep that, you know, it's, it's, it's all fun and games, but we're, we do try to keep it competitive just to get the most out of each other, and we know we, we can constantly get better every single year. So it's, it's all fun, but, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to compete with one another, too, once in a while. So you make sure in fall ball to tell him that his job isn't safe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we came, we came in, I think it was this fall ball and last fall ball, too. We were standing in the outfield shagging, and I was talking with E, and he goes, hey, you know, just to let you know I'm going for that spot. <laughs> I was like, nothing's changed. All right, here we go. <laughs> again, let's do it again. So, uh, yeah, we, we've had, you know, good fun with it. But like Ethan said, it, it, it makes us better. And, and and that's that's the best part about it. So, uh, Ethan, you're a junior, so I'll ask you this next year. But uh, Dave, as a senior, you know, you, I'm you know bring up some bad memories now, or some things that maybe bring the fire out of you a little bit here. But I mean, you know, your brother's senior year losing the one game title fiasco to Xavier, not being able to go to the NCAA tournament. Um, the next year losing it here to St. John's, again losing it um, out in some. Hold on, ballpark that the Yankees chose. Uh, so now you have it back here again as a senior. How much does that, you know, how much does that keep you up? And how much do you think about, you know, what I, I want to make a regional. I want to win the Big East title. I want. I'm tired of watching other teams celebrate on yeah. our last day of the season. That's the last memory you guys have of the season. Yeah. Is watching a team celebrate and you know playing more baseball. Yeah. I mean that has to hurt a little bit from a competitive standpoint. How motivated are you? as a senior to make sure that's not the way it ends. I'm extremely motivated. Um, and, you know, I, you're right, it does keep me up every now and then. You talk about, you know, I've seen three dog piles that other teams have had. Yeah. And you talk about uh, how difficult that is to watch. The hardest part of a situation um, is not knowing that, you know, ah, we worked our tails off and it just didn't work out like this. You know, the hardest part is you you got to look at some of your teammates in the eyes and know that they'll never – pick up a, a glove again and, and play, you know, as competitive as Division One baseball is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I look back and I have vivid memories saying goodbye to my brother not getting to play with him. And yeah. luckily he's had the chance to play. But best friends of mine like Kevin Lamb, uh, John Oldman, uh, some of these guys that I just have unbelievable respect for that were unbelievable workers – um, and you see those dog piles, and it's not, it's not the other team winning. It's, it's your friends not getting to play again. So um, I'm extremely motivated. Every time I, I get to, a chance to get on the mound against those teams that have been successful when we weren't, um, you know, I have those guys in my mind mm-hmm. because I remember that, and it hurts. Um, and so we're going to do everything this year that we can, not just to hopefully bring a great experience for the young guys, um, but to do something in honor of some of our teammates that haven't had the chance in the past. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of experience that we've had there, and, and we just, we just want to do right, especially this year because it's home. And so um, we just got to keep working hard, keep getting better. Um, and I hope that, I, and I know Ethan does too as upperclassmen, that we can bring a great experience, uh, not just for ourselves, but for the younger guys to see something and experience something that none of us have. Uh, Ethan, you know what, I'll let you get into this a little bit here because, um, you know, you're watching the St. John's game two years ago where it was the last game for a lot of those guys, uh, just, you know, seeing the time they took to leave the field. 
last year it was the Nebraska game. They, the seniors knew that that was the last time they would step on this field. You know, they kind of had that feeling because, you know, you weren't going to host a regional here, and it was a long shot to make the College World Series, things like that. What is it about playing at this ballpark, you know, to the point where when you get to that last day, you don't want to say goodbye. Like, you take, I mean, the guys here at the Nebraska, after the Nebraska game were here, you know, I was done writing before they left. They were sitting out here so long just kind of taking it in. What is it about playing at this ballpark that, I mean, it, it doesn't mean something special to you guys to, you know, step on this field every single day? Oh, definitely. I mean, it just has, the whole College World Series in general just has that much history behind it. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, we come here every day and we get we get to know the Groen's crew guys. We get to know, I mean, the people up top. So it's, it's just like a one big family. So it's like, it's not even just the game itself. It's like just the whole atmosphere and the people and all the people that come help us out and, are coming, bringing food in every day. It's like all we're doing it for all of them. Like one thing, so it's just it's just kind of a big family. So it, it is hard. Like you know that St. John's game two years ago. That just watching those seniors their last game and just the whole the whole kind of deal. Not just the game itself. Yeah, it it was tough and it makes it. But it makes it that much more special then for for every one of these games. And you know, coach talked about it today. We only have thirty days left of guaranteed baseball for this season. So it just makes you kind of sit back and think, like you know, every single day, every even practices like this, you just got to give it. As, you don't know what you don't know what tomorrow has in store. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and, you know, it's been really special to have this opportunity to play in the best stadium in the country. I guess when we haven't talked about this at all, because I'm, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but I mean, playing for Ed Service, I'm sure there are some messages that after all these years, go in one ear and out the other because of a natural repetitive nature of coaching and players. Um, what are some of the things that you're used to hearing from him, you know, in any kind of situation. Like, you know, <laughs> you know if you've done this, if you've walked up the guy on four, pin, four, four pitches, that he's going to come out and say to you, what do you, like, uh, is it there's some rehearsed messages where you like, you kind of are ready to roll your eyes, like, yeah, I know what he's about to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we've, we, I think Ethan and I have uh, come across quite a few instances where, uh, you know, something's happened where, like, uh, we're going to get this one. You know, he's going to take this speech out of the box and get us at it with it. But uh, it's funny you say that Ethan and I are down in the bullpen, and because we've been down there for three years now, I'll be on the phone and Ethan will be on the other side of the bench. And before Coach even calls down, we'll see what's happening on the field, and we'll say, hey, uh, you know, Vasilis or someone, start stretching. And two minutes later, Coach will call and say, hey, get Vasilis hot, you know. So, um <laughs> Us being around, Coach, yeah, we we can read him pretty well, but um, you know he did, he does an unbelievable job, kind of managing the game and, and and saying what's necessary to hear, you know, when you need to hear it. So I can get you out of here on this. Um, we'll assume that your best baseball memory is still ahead of you, so I'll ask you for your funniest baseball memory here at Creighton. Um, <laughs> Ethan, you'll still have a year to top it, but Dave, what's one that sticks out to you that kind of still cracks you up today? Oh, my funniest baseball memory. Oh, God. This is a really tough question. I, I didn't know uh, I was coming. Sorry. No, it's good. It's good. Um, hmm. I think it might be It might be for me, and it was something that I did. It was my first time ever pitching in a college game. And I, looking back now, it's funny. It wasn't then. And I was so jacked up. I get into this game, we're at Arkansas State, and I throw my first pitch, and I plunk the guy right in the back, Okay. and I turn around, and my brother's in center field with his glove and his hands over his head, like, oh, jeez, you know, what's going on? Just 
that's maybe on the field. That's probably one of my moments that I look back and I, I, I laugh at because I know he's, like, all excited and then, bam, you know, something that coach despises is the hit-by-pitch. And sure, my first pitch, base. My first pitch in college was, you know, right up that. So. And normally as a fielder, you'd be encouraging in that aspect. Like, all right, get the next one. <laughs> and I turn around and Mike is just like, what is this kid doing? <laughs> so uh, it, was a, it was an experience that uh, – that I can look back at and laugh at, um, but yeah. So nice, Ethan. Do you have one? I don't know. I'm trying. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. There's, we got some good locker room ones. Good locker room <laughs> ones. Good, yeah. good yeah, ones. A lot of good ones. A lot of good ones with a coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good quotes. That oh man, I can't think of one off. The, can you think of any more off the top of your head? The good some, ones. Yeah. Um. Uh. Coach. Coach quotes or what? I don't know. Just guys doing stuff. Yeah. Um. I don't know. <laughs> What's uh what's something in like maybe after a game where you guys are blaring music in the locker room? What's you know and Ed's in his office kind of away from the noise? How does he like those celebrations you guys come up with? <laughs> There's a couple times where we were playing music and Coach Service comes in. And he's just like, "You gotta turn this music off right now." <laughs> well, I think sometimes we forget that his office is about five feet behind <laughs> yeah, his doors, right. wide open, yeah. and people are either trying to interview him like or something. Cl- it sounds like a club. Sometimes we've got yeah, we've got a max volume, so. <laughs> Yeah, definitely sometimes, or they have recruits coming through or something, mm-hmm. and maybe not the best songs they're playing, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, we've got some funny stories that we just can't share. Sure. But, <laughs> that's, uh, that's the great part of being uh, in the locker room. But yeah, that, you know. Those we'll give Ethan a year uh, to figure out his favorite yeah. one, so you'll know it's coming next year. <laughs> um, guys, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you guys sitting down and, you know, playing off of each other and doing this interview, and, you know, best of luck the rest of the way. I know you guys still got quite a bit of your season left, so. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have more of these conversations, but best of luck, and thanks for sitting down. Appreciate yeah, thank it. You. Thank Appreciate you. it. Great interview, Matt. That was uh, some pretty heavy stuff there from Ethan DeCaster and David Gerber on the Blue Jays Bites podcast. So, um, you know, in the next 17 games, um, you know, what do you expect? You've seen this team. You've been watching these guys all season long. Kind of do you feel like – I mean, we talked about it already a little bit, inevitably there's going to be some struggles. You hope it doesn't take out the entire lineup at once. Mm. You hope that those arms stay healthy. Uh, they've obviously been riding DeCaster and Gerber and others pretty hard. Where do you see this team in the next two weeks? Well, I mean, I, I do expect some, you know, them to lose again, that's for sure. Um, and I'm, I'm curious. To see, I am a little bit concerned about the long-term maybe the how much they'll have left in the tank at the end of May because, like I said, there just aren't a lot of arms that are, you know, kind of proven and trustworthy in the bullpen. Obviously, the midweek games are going to determine, you know, what, how many guys they can develop into those roles because that's an opportunity for guys that don't get to pitch all the time to kind of say, hey, you can count on me to get, you know, a couple outs or an inning here. Um, and I think, you know, Jackson Vasilis is a guy, even though he's a freshman, that has a chance to, you know, be a reliable weekend bullpen option. Um, Austin Strohshine, maybe if he, you know, continue to pitch well, could be a guy that they can bring out of the bullpen maybe when the weekend games really get rolling here. Um, and I think it, that's going to be that's going to be the key to their success is make sure they can develop some bullpen depth because I do believe – I don't think David and Ethan can kind of keep this up the rest of the season. So. Sure. Uh, that's going to be paramount for their success in, you know, at the end of May. 
Um, and I, but I expect this roster, this lineup, I don't expect that to get worn down at all. I think this lineup's only going to get better because, like I said, there's a lot of young guys in it, and they're only building confidence with, you know, with each at bat, with each late inning comeback, with each walk off win. I mean, that only fuels them, and you know, they're also getting better defensively. Isaac Collins is. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Isaac Collins was one of those guys where if a ball was hit right at him, you were nervous about holding him. <laughs> so, you know, and then he, he made two great plays on Friday to save, um, to save some to keep guys off base pass when you know balls deflected off of Raleigh Lacy back at him, and you know made some nice plays on the run. So I mean, he's really kind of solidifying that second base spot. And it's still funny when you look around this diamond because not. You know, a lot of guys are not playing their natural position. A lot of guys are playing their positions that I don't think they're going to end up at. You know, in their when they're seniors at Creighton, so it's still a, it's still a patchwork job. But if anybody can coach the defense, it's certainly at service. So I expect the lineup to keep getting better, and then it's all about how much they can develop another one or two guys out of the bullpen to help them. You know, get take some load off of Ethan and Dave at the end of the season. Very good. So we'll keep track, and the next time we podcast, hopefully we'll be talking about a win streak that's uh, maintaining. But even if it's not, we know the Jays are pointing in a really interesting direction here, uh, definitely one that did not seem to be in the cards uh, even just a few weeks ago. So uh, with that, Matt, I think we should thank Lawlers, like always. Thank our sponsor, good Lawlers. Thank you, Lawlers. It was nice. I, w- I went into Lawlers not for Jays gear, uh, last week, but to have James's T-ball team's jerseys receive their last names on the back. So I'm coaching T-ball this year, and the good folks at Lawler's took care of the uh, Texas Tech Red Raiders from Memorial Little League T-ball. So really appreciate them. Obviously, they were up to their eyeballs in uh, Little League jerseys that they were pressing and getting done, but still had a ton of time to talk Jays hoops and Jays sports and show me some nice Jays gear. So Always good to be able to stop into Lawler's and see those guys there. Are you a station to station type of coach for T ball like at services for Creighton? Do you you know do you drill them pretty hard or uh we've had one practice. Uh we worked on how to hold a baseball, how to throw a baseball, how to run to the bases and how to get one or two swings off of a tee. So okay. I, I mean, feel like that's kind of service like though. Like Yeah, I, feel... I mean you gotta you have to start with the basics. That's what it's about. I felt like I needed to wear a heart, like a helmet, like a batting helmet the whole time, but I did not. I, uh, you know, it was good. So I tried to channel my service. No bunts yet. Um, obviously, a lot of the swings on the tee were like bunts, but no bunts you, yet. You actually bunt in tee ball. Is that allowed? Dude, if you can get the ball off the tee in any way, shape, or form, I'd consider that a win. I'd consider oh, okay. that a hit. So uh, we'll see. First game's on Saturday. So. Oh, so. One of my best hitting days as a child was in T-ball, so that's all I know. Hey, man. Once I started having to hit it out of people's hands, it, <laughs> right. I was very good at that. Right. So we'll see how it goes. But um, but no, really uh, give a lot of thanks to Lawlers for all they do for this show, all they do for whiteandbluereview.com, all they do for the Omaha community, uh, outfitting all of us sports fans everywhere in the city. So thank you, Lawlers. Really appreciate it. Anything else, Matt, before we call it a night? No, I'm good, man. I think that was a uh... – Good baseball-heavy podcast. Finally. Oh, right. The weather's good, and it's baseball time, and Jays are looking on the uptick. I love it. So hopefully we didn't just jinx them and stuff. But and Go Yankees, too. The Yankees are playing well. Uh, whatever. <laughs> okay, so for that, um, 
or so with that for Matt D. Moranis, I'm Bryant Ott signing off for all of us here at whiteandbluereview.com. Appreciate listening to the Blue Jays Bites podcast. Have a good night and go Jays.